opportunities to declare his faithfulness by your life. God's delays are purposeful. Things rarely, possibly never happen on our schedules when it comes to spiritual matters. God has his own timeline and we can be sure it's the better way of going about it. However, the waiting can be tough. Pastor Daniel will encourage us through today's message to take those times of waiting to display God's faithfulness and work on our own. God is still moving and will fulfill the promises he made. His glory will be seen when he does. Now, here's Pastor Daniel in Joshua chapter 10 with part two of his message, The Southern Conquest. God wants all of our lives to be fruitful, to bear the fruit of his spirit. Now, what goes on is that we live in a day and age, especially in the culture that we live in, where there's so much discussion about self-help. Now, listen, I'm not against self-help. I think a lot of the things that you learn in self-help, they're actually good tools, right? But the problem is, is none of the things you learn in self-help are actually the fruit of the spirit. And that's the problem with it. So if you read a self-help book, and I'm not recommending, I think you should read the Bible, you'll be just fine. You know what I mean? But like when they talk about, you should have more gratitude, right? Like, isn't that true? Yes. But the problem is you can be the most grateful person and never give God gratitude for creating and sustaining you. So gratitude on its own is not enough. It's who's the object of your gratitude. And so what goes on is the problem with self-help is it's self-determined. When the fruit of the Spirit is God-determined. So I'm not knocking all... There's some... All truth is God's truth no matter where you find it. But the fruit of the Spirit is not born through self-determination. It's born through the grace of God and the finished work of Jesus. And so we all need to say, Lord, will you bear fruit in my life? Now, the reason fruit-bearing, I think, is so important... And why it's so challenging in this day and age is because we live in a self-centered culture and the problem when you're bearing fruit is you're the only one who doesn't get to partake of the fruit that you bore. Like, have you ever seen a fruit tree enjoying the fruit on its tree? Like, have you ever seen like a cow being like, this is the best burger ever? No, right? That's kind of nasty when you think about it. See, fruit is born for others. Others get to partake of it. And we live in a culture where it's all about me and what I get out of it. And so we never think about, well, actually, we think about the God bearing fruit in our life is actually us getting what we want out of our lives. When actually, no, when God is bearing fruit in your life by his spirit, others are the recipients of that blessing. And so what God wants, as Jesus has not returned bodily yet, is he wants us to make sure that we are in a situation where we will bear much fruit. 
Because it says that the reason Jesus hasn't returned yet is not because God is lazy, but he's long-suffering, not willing that any should perish, but that all would come to repentance. So God is delaying Jesus' return because he wants everyone to come to repentance. And the way that people come to repentance is through the witness of the people of God when we bear the fruit of the Spirit. But the problem is, is if we are not saying, Lord, will you bear the fruit that you want to bear in my life, and submitting and surrendering ourselves to the Lord and the work of His Spirit, then we're not bearing that fruit. And then our lives are not the witness or the testimony that God wants it to be. And then all of a sudden, the witness of the people of God is diminished. Doesn't that sound a little bit like the day and age in which we live? So the question is, is you should say, Lord, will you search my heart And will you bear the fruit you want to bear in my life? And whatever you're going through, you start to say, Lord, I don't understand this or even like this, but Lord, will you bear the fruit in my life that only you can bear through this experience? And remember I told you how the drudgery of life, when we realize that Jesus is just as real in the boring things as in the epic things, when you start to pray that God, I don't, why do you got me doing this, Lord, but while I'm here, will you bear the fruit you want to bear in my life? Now, all of a sudden, you start to see all that God is doing in your midst, because oftentimes, the fruit that God wants to bear is born not in the moment of ecstasy with God, but in the drudgery of the same old, same old. So, I realized that God using the children of Israel to bring His righteous justice and judgment upon these nations is challenging. What you'll also find is that never again in the Bible does God tell his people to do this. It's this one situation, them going into the promised land. So anytime someone's crying out, holy war, kill the infidels, it totally misses the heart of Jesus. It's one time in this one situation. And then ultimately when Jesus returns, Jesus is judge. He's the one who passed it, not us. So I wanted to make sure I got some of that stuff and just kind of addressed it. Because I, and I realized that like I could do a sermon series for a year on exploring the justice of God and how God's justice worked. And I realized that it's not a simplistic topic. I always say that God, the Bible is simple but not simplistic. right? So these things are deep. And we shouldn't be afraid of the fact that they're deep, but we need to think biblically about what these things are. Now, the other side of this, of course, is we continue to see Joshua being faithful to execute God's purposes and plans. And we never want to miss that, and we never want to pretend like that's like a a little thing, because I don't know about you, I kind of want to be like Joshua. I wonder if God says, this is what I want you to do. I want, if there was someone scribing out like the history of my life, that they would say, and you know, Fusco did exactly what God asked him to do. You know, and and I, I think you want that as well. That when God says, this is who I've called you to be, this is who I've recreated you in Christ to be, that if someone was actually chronicling your life, they would be writing, so-and-so, insert your name, did as the Lord instructed. And in a lot of ways, Christianity is understood by a simple word, and that's that Jesus is Lord. The Lord in that culture was the master. We actually don't have an equivalent in American culture because we don't have kings. We don't have masters. 
right? Like we live in a culture where everyone is on the same level. And in a lot of ways, that's a good thing, except for the fact that there's one relationship that everyone isn't the same, and that's Jesus and you. And so like, even like in a work environment, where you work, if your boss says, this is what I want, right? You do what they want, or you lose your job, or you get written up, or whatever. They might not want good things or bad things, but that's their job, and their job is to be responsible for that. And sometimes when they want you to do something horrible, you say, no, I can't do that, and then you lose your job. Well, they were a terrible boss anyway, and you don't worry about that. But like, when Jesus says do something, he's actually not looking for like a discussion from us. Like, well, Lord, like, I think we could do it better if we do it this way. Like, a lot of us think that Jesus is the Lord, but we're also his greatest advisor. Right? And like, what I'm constantly learning, my friends, is Jesus doesn't need my advice. Like, I have a very limited view of a lot of things, and Jesus is all knowing. He knows exactly, he knows the beginning and the end. He's always been. And so our job is to simply say, yes, Lord. As people have always said, that no Lord is an oxymoron. It's actually not. If if you're saying no, he's not the Lord, you are. And what's hard for us, I believe, is that our culture doesn't value submission. And so because our culture doesn't value it, we actually don't have any cultural understanding of the relationship that we're supposed to have with the Lord. And I'm not saying you, I'm saying us. I'm living in the same world, you know? And so, are you submitted to Jesus as Lord? If Jesus says, this is who you are and how I want you to be, if he's the Lord, we just do that. We don't say, well, yeah, I was going to, but, you know, I just didn't feel like it, or I didn't really like that idea. Right as you step in disobedience, he's not the Lord. Now, Of course, it's important to say at this point that all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's why we believe in Jesus in the first place. There's not one person other than Jesus himself who always did those things that please his father. All of us, we got issues. And that's why Jesus died and rose again. But now on the other side of the cross, and for those of you who are here who are born again, right? When you say that you are born again, you've been made alive by the spirit through the finished work of Jesus. And what that means is you are declaring him to be Lord. So let it be so. But if he's the Lord and you're not doing what he wants, then he's not the Lord, even though you're saying he's the Lord. Jesus isn't asking any of us to do anything even remotely as nasty as what he asked Joshua to do. I mean, he literally told Joshua, I want you to go into these towns and I want you to kill everybody. Men, women, children, the king, everybody. And we have this systematic Joshua did it. He killed the king with the edge of the sword. He utterly destroyed them. All the people who were in it. He let none remain. So if Joshua can have the faith in God to do this, then can't we trust the Lord to do what he's asking us to do? So Joshua does this in Makeda, and then he does it in Libna. The king is dying. All the people are dying. By the time you get to verse 31, he passed from Libna, all of Israel's with him, to Lachish. They encamp against it. They fought against it. And the Lord delivered Lachish into the hand of Israel, who took it on the second day. Now, I think that's fascinating because... I think the other thing that we can learn from this is that in every moment of your life, there's always battles that are being fought. And some battles, like the Battle of Jericho, took seven days. 
The battle of Ahai first happened, they were defeated, and then they went back and were victorious. This one, it took a little time. And I think one of the things that we also struggle with is that for many of us, we want these battles to be won right away, and they take time. And the problem is, is oftentimes we get weary in the midst of the journey of the battle. I mean, you realize if God could extend the day so that Joshua could defeat this coalition, then why did it have to take two days? Does God need, like, I need 48 hours to get this done? Obviously, God has other purposes and plans that he's working out so that it takes a little longer. So did you ever wonder why God delays on things that you're hoping for, waiting for? Why is he delaying? Well, maybe because the only way that we can learn how to be faithful is if God delays our gratification. And maybe what God really wants It's for us to be faithful, not just to get the things that he's promised us. Why? Because is getting the things we want, is that the fruit of the Spirit? Or is faithfulness the fruit of the Spirit? See, when you're dealing in a situation where somebody is challenging, if the fruit of the Spirit is love or patience, like obviously God can fix the situation and remove the issue, but God puts us, we're in these situations so that love would be born in our lives. That patience would be born in our lives. Because that's the fruit that abides into eternity. All this other stuff is just us bringing ourselves back into a more comfortable place. But God isn't interested in our comfort. He's interested in our conversion and our transformation. And ultimately our life being fruitful. That our lives may be life-giving to other people. So sometimes things take a little time. And so don't worry. And I always think about something taking time. I'm always reminded of Galatians where it says, don't be weary in doing good, knowing that in due season, you will reap if you do not lose heart. So it says, don't get tired in doing good things, knowing, like having a settled, deep knowledge that in due season, at God's appointed time, there will be a harvest if... You're still there. If you don't lose heart. And how many times when we think about situations, do we like, yeah, I lost heart along the way. And I ejected, or I just said, you know, forget it. Or I'm like, or you end up like Abraham, where God promised him a son by his wife, Sarah. And finally, they're like, man, it's taking too long. Abraham's like, I'm 100. Sarah's like, I'm 90. Like we're, we're, this is bad as long before, you know, in vitro and all these things and great doctors and like, well, we got Hagar here. We can get a baby. And then you end up with an Ishmael, which was not God's plan. So when things take time, let God's delays be opportunities to declare his faithfulness by your life. God's delays are purposeful. Now, we find in verse 33 that then Horam, the king of Gezer, came up. I just love that the word Gezer is in the Bible. I just think it's awesome. Anyway, and Joshua struck him and his people until he left him none remaining. Verse 34, from Lachish, Joshua passed to Eglon and all of Israel with him, and they encamped against it, and they fought against it, and they took it on that day and struck it with the edge of the sword, and all the people 
who were in it were utterly destroyed that day according to all that he had done to Lachish. So Joshua went up from Eglon and all of Israel with him to Hebron and they fought against it and they took it and they struck it with the edge of the sword. It's king, all of its cities and all the people who were in it. He left none remaining according to all that he had done to Eglon but utterly destroyed it and all the people who were in it. In verse 38, and then Joshua returned and all Israel with him to Debir and they fought against it. And he took it and its king and all of its cities and they struck them with the edge of the sword and utterly destroyed all the people who were in it. He left none remaining as he had done to Hebron. So he did to Debir and its king as he had done also to Libna and its king. Again, you see how kind of boring this is, right? Like, just imagine me studying this and being like, Lord, like, it's this repetition. It's this monotonous repetition of they went to this place, they killed the king, they killed everybody, they did it to that person like they did to the last person. But then I started thinking to myself, you know, what if our lives were so-and-so went to this place and loved the Lord their God with all their heart, soul, strength, and mind, and Love their neighbor as herself. Love them all. Completely loved and served everybody. And then they went to the next place. And they loved the Lord their God. And they loved their neighbor as themselves. And they served everybody there. And they served them to the end. And then they went to the next place. And they loved the Lord their God. And they loved their neighbor as herself. And they served them and all the needs that they have. And everyone's life got changed. And then we went to the next place and the next place. Doesn't that sound like a life well lived in God's kingdom? So there is a monotonous rhythm to life. But what our job is, see, for Joshua, they were executing God's judgment. That was their job. God was giving them the promised land. And they were there to execute judgment against these nations. But... Our calling is not Joshua's calling. Our calling is to be salt and light. Jesus said, you are the light of the world. A city on that set on a hill can't be hidden. And nobody lights a lamp and sticks it in a basket, but they put it on a lampstand that it might give light to the whole room. And you're the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? When a salt loses its flavor, it's good for nothing but to be thrown on out and trampled underfoot by men. And then Jesus said, so let your light so shine before people that they might see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. And then in Acts chapter 2, when Jesus says, I don't want you guys to leave Jerusalem until the Spirit comes upon you, and then you'll be my witnesses. And in Acts chapter 2, the whole entire house shook, and they were filled with the Spirit. So that they could declare of the glory of God and live differently. So our calling is the same as Joshua's because our calling is to be obedience. But the function of our calling is different because God has called us to be the agents of reconciliation in this community and in this world. Do you realize that? That God has redeemed you if you are here and you've put your faith and trust in Jesus. God has redeemed you so that you would be a vehicle for his reconciliation to reach everybody else. Not just the people you like. Not just the people who you agree with. Not just the people who you feel comfortable with. But everybody. That's why you've been born again. Because God is glorified by using you to impact someone else's life. So God saves us so that 
then he can turn us outward into the world that we become the body of Christ. We become his hands and feet. We become the vehicle through which his blessings enter the world. And my prayer is that would to God that each one of us would find our lives monotonously, very simply and repetitiously that we are agents of reconciliation everywhere we are. I go to my job and I'm an agent of reconciliation. I go to my house with my crazy family and I'm an agent of reconciliation. And I go into my community where I'm watching my entire culture be ripped to shreds in every single direction. And I'm a person who's an agent of reconciliation in Jesus's name. And I look at all the ills of our society and I say, if I'm the hands and feet of Jesus, God wants to let heaven touch down. And so all these things that are probably Maybe that they're problems because we're not busy fixing them. So rather than complaining about them on Facebook, we're actually going to roll up our sleeves and we get our hands dirty in this world with other people trying to figure out how to fix this stuff. And my prayer is that our lives would be repetitiously, almost monotonously boring with recreating a broken world in the image of Jesus. Because that's our calling. That's our calling. And so this chapter ends these summary statements. So Joshua conquered all the land, the mountain country and the south and the lowland and the wilderness slopes and all the kings and he left none remaining, but utterly destroyed all that breathed as the Lord God of Israel had commanded. And Joshua conquered them from Kadesh Barnea as far as Gaza and all the country of Goshen, even as far as Gibeon. All these kings and their land Joshua took at one time because the Lord God of Israel fought for Israel. Then Joshua returned and all Israel with him to the camp at Gilgal. So really what we have here is we have a comprehensive statement of Joshua's victories, right? All these cities... You know, you have things like the hill country, which was the central mountain range. The Negev was the desert in the southern part. You have the western foothills, all these different places. And what we are reminded is that not only did the children of Israel have things to do, but God also had promised them this land. So what's amazing about this, and because we're divorced from it by time, is that they were walking in and receiving the inheritance that God had promised to them so long before. That there was an inheritance that God had told them they were going to have, and now they're actually walking in it, but them walking in it takes some time. But God is giving them exactly what he promised to. And the reason the children of Israel were victorious, according to verse 42, is that the Lord God of Israel fought for Israel. Jesus is real. Today, Pastor Daniel reminded us that as the hands and feet of Jesus, we're agents of reconciliation everywhere we go. Whether it's through our interactions with family and friends, our time with co-workers, or any place we go in this world, we can display the hope and grace of the cross. We may not see our role as important, but God certainly does. He wants to use each of us today, right where we are, to make a difference for Him. Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram have become a regular part of our everyday lives. 
And we want to be sure to encourage you to check out Pastor Daniel's Facebook page, Twitter feed, and Instagram. Log on to JesusIsRealRadio.com and follow the links. Pastor Daniel shares two-minute video messages throughout the week on his Facebook page. Log on to JesusIsRealRadio.com and follow Pastor Daniel. Hey, this is Josh, and I wanted to personally thank you for listening today to Jesus Is Real Radio. Did you know that Pastor Daniel also has a TV program? It's called Real with Daniel Fusco. I want to encourage you to go to JesusIsRealRadio.com Click on the stations option in the main menu and find out if Real with Daniel Fusco airs on a TV station in your area. Join us again here on Jesus is Real Radio as Pastor Daniel wraps up this study of the Israelites' entrance into the promised land. Now that they've conquered many of the nations, God's chosen people are settling into their new space. Pastor Daniel shares their defeated list, the list of people they've conquered thanks to God's faithfulness. We too can make notes of God's faithfulness in our lives and turn to it when trials arise. We wish we had more time today, but we will have to pick up where we left off next time as Pastor Daniel continues teaching through this series called Conquest. That's next time on Jesus Is Real Radio.